You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, as we uh, continue in our series, Five Distinctives of an Authentic Follower. Um, uh, First of all, thank you for um, your patience last week and... Hour, Susan, my not being here, but uh, rather being up in Newmarket for the launch of the uh, campus up there. That was an exciting uh, day for us to be there with about 245 other people and uh, worshiping together. And uh, they're just finishing up their service right now. And uh, so thankful for what God is doing there. And uh, so you had a, an opportunity, a kind of a taste of what uh, they will live every week as. Um, we have video uh, church up there and uh, thankful to God for that opportunity. And uh, thank you for your grace, allowing us to be there and give you a taste of uh, what is going on. <clears throat> well, the series is Five Distinctives of an Authentic Follower. And the message today is about how we grow in the Lord. And our responsibility as one of the G's is about growing. Last week, we took a look at the topic of glorifying. And uh, we talked about that in the context of um, looking in four directions. First of all, looking up. And in that, we talked about understanding who God is. And we briefly took a look at some of his names. And we should glorify God when we can just take hold of who he is, even in his names. And the last name we looked at, from the New Testament especially, was the name Father, uh, 245 times. The one you are in relationship, the God of the universe, is known as your Father. Father. Well, then we took a look at um, the attributes of God and quickly went through and saw so many of them and words that describe who God is as best we can on this earth. He transcends all of those things. And we talk about transcendence as is we, we try and take hold of God and who he is and glorifying him. But we understand we're barely scraping the service. He is so much more. He transcends all all that we can understand. So we looked at his names and then we looked at his attributes and then we took a look at some of the things that he has done. And uh, we talked about creation and we talked about the word and then we talked about the giving of his son. We did that all as we were looking to glorify God, looking upward. Then we looked inward, take a look at ourselves and uh, making sure that as best we can, search me God and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and come before him. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And because of who God is, we want to glorify him. And we do that by uh, looking inward and looking inward. Then what does that mean in obedience? And what does that mean in sanctification, walking forward in our lives? And so uh, we did that as well as we took a look inward. And then we want to glorify God as we look outward. And we talked about the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. And we bring glory to God as we trumpet, herald the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ in the Great Commission. Then we talked about the commandment, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. This is the way people will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. And so there was the commission, and then there's the command. And then we also uh, look outward as we realize we are the church, and the church is God's plan. And it wasn't some idea some guy came up with as a way to get offerings to run a bunch of stuff. The church doing life together is God's idea, and he will present his church, the Bible says. And so as part of glorifying, we want to be part of a church that's um, reaching out and 
glorifying God. And then we talked about looking forward and the hope that we have. Glorify God as you look forward to the hope of eternal life. And well, that was last week. That was the first G. Today is the second G and it's about growing. Five distinctives of an authentic follower. A distinctive is what makes us different. Authentic means undisputed original, not a copy or a fake. Uh, bring that up here, Sue, if you would. And um, one of the men in our church, his name is uh, Murray Pfeiffer. Um, he painted this picture. I gave it to Sue last Christmas. And um, Murray was in the service, in the last service. So I thought, how can I, how can I demonstrate that it's real? Well, if he wasn't here, someone who knew his work could come and they could check and see the way it was done and they could see his signature on the bottom and they could demonstrate that it's authentic. They could demonstrate that it is an original. It's not a copy or a fake. But the people who are here at nine o'clock, they got to have seen Murray walk up the aisle and take a look at it and say, that's my painting. I did, it was a good thing because I paid for it. And, uh, but, but he came and... He, he said it's authentic. It's real. Thank you. Um, there's a whole different sermon there when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ and his stamp on your life. And he says, he says, you're real. You're real. You're, he says it. Um, that's a different sermon for a different day. Today we're talking about our being authentic as we grow up in Jesus Christ. So you got your Bibles open now, I trust. Let's stand. We want to honor God as we read his word. I'm going to read from the 2 Timothy 2, starting at verse 1 down to 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless... He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, thank you for your word again today and the privilege that we have to stand here and hold it and open it and read it. Thank you for the lessons that you were teaching Timothy through his mentor, Paul, someone who had invested so much in him. And Lord, I pray that as we hear your word today, you would give us ears to hear it and minds that we would grasp and understand it. And then Lord, would you give us hearts to passionately live out for the fame of the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, growing up in him all for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. You can take your seats. 
Well, as I said in my prayer, this is a Paul's amazing words to his young friend, his fellow servant, the one that he had invested in. He was training. He was encouraging, spurring on to love and good deeds. And, and this chapter is a part of the second letter that he had uh, written to him. And so we're going to take a look at a number of things as we think about growing today. The first thing is growing, gripped by God's grace. Growing, gripped by God's grace. Look what it says in uh, verse one. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Be strengthened by the grace that is in you. That is in you. The working of grace is a personal thing. Uh, there's two kinds of grace we want to look at briefly this morning. The first one is the grace that saves us, but then there's the reality of the grace that keeps us as well. Um, I love this uh, text over in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, where it says, um, my grace is sufficient for you. And when we're going through the thing and we're just not sure we can handle it anymore, God's word says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace, the grace that saves us. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is me getting what I don't deserve. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift from God. It's not of works so that no one could ever boast. Grace that saves us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The chasm that happened in the garden when Adam and Eve fell, it fell on all of us and there was nothing that we could do in ourselves to attain a right relationship with God. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the right and righteous and only suitable payment for my sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is God's gift to us, his unmerited favor. That's his grace. It is awesome. There's nothing that I can do to restore the relationship that is broken with my heavenly father except to receive the gift that comes from Jesus Christ. It's called saving grace. For By grace, you are saved through faith. If you're sitting here today, and you've been coming to church here for a little while and you're still on the, I'm gonna try and be a good person. I'll be a good enough person and one day I'll stand before God and I'll be okay. You're on a bad, 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 a very bad plan because it's gonna crash and burn at the end and at the end, God's gonna say, sorry, I don't even know who you are because his standard is no sin. Now, you know me. You know I'll stand up here to admit that I'm a sinner but I'm a sinner whose sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I trusted Jesus Christ, he made me just like I had never sinned. 
It was a judicial act. He took it all away. The past sin, the present sin, the future sin is all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's that simple. It's the most difficult thing because our pride and our thoughts of who we think we are, they get in the way. Just believe. If you understand who Jesus is and what he did for you, it'll change your life. Believe and you'll be saved. So there's a grace that saves us and then there's a grace that keeps us. And Paul was talking about that in 2 Corinthians in the verse that I read. And in this text, he refers to it again. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. Be strengthened. It's be being, keep on being strengthened. It's an ongoing grace. Different grace than what saves us. That work is done and finished, but it's God's grace poured out on us even more. I got what I didn't deserve when I got saved and I keep getting what I don't deserve every day in Jesus Christ, growing, gripped by God's grace. I would challenge you, I don't do this every day myself, but I'm working at it too. Every day before you roll out of bed, just stop and remember the hope you have in Jesus Christ. Christ. Kind of simple, yeah, but transforming. When we live out of the grace, we live out of the unmerited favor, we live out of what Christ has done for us. Every day before you get out of bed, you start by getting back on the right foundation, the foundation of God's grace to save you, and, the, and then the reality of God's grace um, to keep you growing, gripped by God's grace. Look what he uh, tells uh, Timothy to do in verse 2. In what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, a little bit of a, a tangent from the grip by God's grace here is the uh, reality of what he's teaching, Timothy, a principle we all need to see and understand. I've, I've just called it multiplying. Um, last week at Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region, on both campuses, by God's grace, uh, there were over 1,100 people who worshiped together. Um, that's God's grace for sure. L look at this face. That's God's grace for sure. That's what God is doing in our church. But here's what I know. I can't minister to 1,100 people. Can't do it. I don't even know the names of half of you in the room right now. Can't do it. Can't do it. Well, how do we do it? Well, we multiply and we multiply. Remember in Acts chapter six and the widows weren't getting served well and, and the followers of Christ, they were supposed to be preaching the word and now they found themselves torn. What are we gonna do? Do we preach the word? Do we serve the widows? And they put deacons in place. They put people in place to take care of the needs. They multiplied their effectiveness so they could get doing the thing that they were supposed to do, the focus they needed to have. Long time ago in this church, I preached through the book of Titus and Paul sent Titus to Crete to do what? Put elders in place in all of the churches. Why? So that they could multiply, so their effectiveness could be multiplied. Multiplied. I can't do it. The elders can't do it. Myself, along with the elders and the staff, we can't do it. There's too many people. We need to do what Paul is telling Timothy here. We need to entrust things to faithful people so they can do the work. The church of Jesus Christ is not five or six people at the top giving commands and doing everything. It's the body of Christ serving and working together. And so he says to them, entrust, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
The ministry of the church is not just for men. He's using the illustration and specifically the piece about teaching, but that's not the point I even really want to make today. The thing I want to talk about is what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be faithful? Um, I think so often in churches, I trust not in our churches, the people who get the jobs are the people who look the sharpest. They look like they've got it all together. Um, sometimes in churches, the people who get the responsibility are the people who are the most influential or even the loudest. They come in, they can tell a great story, and because they can do those things, somehow they rise to the surface so much more quickly. Um, there's nothing wrong with any of those um, attributes in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with seeking to be godly. There's nothing wrong with um, being strong in what you know. There's nothing wrong with even having a strong personality. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but they're not the primary things. They're by far the secondary things. And so what are we looking for when we're looking for faithful people? Well, we're looking for people who are involved, people who are coming and faithful and are in a small group and are desiring to serve and we want to entrust ministry to those people. They're, they're here, they're involved, people who are growing. Uh, it's so neat for me now that we've been here a number of years to hear people come and say, man, God has grown me so much in the last three or four or five years. Those are the people you want to entrust things to, people who are growing, uh, people who are humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that in his time, he will, he can, he can lift you up. He can exalt you, people who are humble and people who are loving to each other. Those are the people that we should be looking at. Those are the people that we want to invest in. Those are the people we want to spur on to love and good deeds. And so as Paul is talking to Timothy, that, that he would understand the grace that he has that saves him and the grace that he has to keep him. It's almost like a little warning here, Timothy, but don't think you can do it on your own. You're not an island unto yourself, but rather how are we developing and growing people and spurring them on? And so if you're in a leadership role in our church or you're serving in an area, who are you looking to bring alongside to help you? Who are you looking to train up so that your ministry can multiply? And if you're here, are you looking for opportunities where you can serve and be a part of what Paul's calling Timothy to here? Are you looking to be a faithful person so that leadership or someone can see you and invest in you and then spur you on and see what God does? Faithful. Paul starts out by saying... Um, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, be growing, gripped by God's grace. Here's the second thing. Timothy, be growing, gripped by your amazing calling. By your amazing calling. He gives him three pictures of what um, he should look like in this and starts in verse three. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Three pictures. The first picture is one of the soldier. See, Timothy, be a good soldier. Soldiers are people who are filled with discipline. Uh, they've learned how to come under. Soldiers have learned they have to give some things up. When you enter the army, 
guys, you give up your hair probably first. They take you in, they shave you almost bald. But you, you give up some things. Some of the things that you give up are, are probably bad things and you need to get rid of those. We all need to get rid of those. They, those could include things like your pride. Uh, you get in the army, you be a soldier, uh, they're gonna knock the pride right out of you. Your independence. You don't think on your own anymore. You don't just go and do your thing. Everybody does not go and do that which is right in their own eyes. They give up their independence. You give up your self-will. And those are good things for us to learn to surrender. But there are other things when you're a soldier you have to give up that are troubling for you. There are things like home and family because you're going to come under the authority. You're going to come under the leader and you're going to surrender those kind of things. And so there are good things and there are difficult things, but you have to give them up if you're going to be a, a good soldier. You have to be willing to deny yourself of a lot of things. It says in the text, don't get entangled with the things of the world. When you're a soldier, you're a soldier. You've left all of that other stuff behind. And so he's saying to Timothy, don't get entangled in things. Okay, church, what do we get entangled in? What are the things that as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you find yourself reaching back to, you find yourself entangled in, you find... And maybe you think about it in the context of your workplace and as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and you find yourself getting entangled in the things of the world. Maybe it's the talk that happens in the lunchroom or, or maybe it's the cutting the corners on a deal or maybe with your friends. It's like the compromise of your walk with Christ and as a good soldier, don't get entangled in those things. It's interesting, in the text, he says this, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Jesus Christ is the commander of our army. Jesus Christ is. He is the one that we're seeking to please. As a follower of Jesus Christ, desiring to grow up, we need to learn the discipline and the coming under and the surrender of a soldier. I don't give up when it gets hard. We keep pushing forward. Why? Because the commander in chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's who we come under. He is the one we are following. And so Paul starts out and he says, Timothy, be a good soldier. Then he says to him, Timothy, be a good athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. If I say the name Ben Johnson, everybody who's 40 or over for sure, he knows exactly who I'm talking about, ran the fastest 100 meters in history and was disqualified because he cheated. It was interesting. He was on an advertisement on TV I saw it a couple of years ago for a, a beverage, I think out of Hamilton. It was called Cheetah, right? And it was brilliant for advertising, right? Um, that's what he's known for now. He's not known for the time he ran because it was all stripped away. 
because he thought he was above the rules. He thought he could get away with what he could get away with, and it didn't work. And so the, uh, the drugs that he was taking to make him stronger, make him faster, they came back, and it says, unless an athlete um, competes within the rules, they won't be crowned. It doesn't mean he could never... In the spiritual, it doesn't mean you're out of the race. You can never run again. It's not an eternal thing. It's a reward thing we're talking about here. Um, how much cutting of the corners have you done as you've run the race? Where you think, yeah, I've got some ideas. I know, I know what the rules are, but I got some of my own ideas. And I think I can kind of set those things aside because what I want is going to propel me forward and I'm going to get to the end quicker and, and you won't be crowned. The athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And then the third picture he gives is of the um, hardworking farmer. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The hardworking farmer. I, I love this verse. Um, um, it's over on this side of my page. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Paul said this, but by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them that was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul talked about how hard he worked. He wasn't boasting in it. He was just saying, that's what it takes. It takes discipline. It takes working within the rules. And it takes hard, hard work. Uh, the other thing I noticed about these, if, if you watch on uh, TV, um, the military is celebrated. You watch. I was watching a commercial last night and, um, talking about being a Marine and be all that you can be and all those kind of things. And there's a celebration of, of being in the Army. Um, in our society, we worship athletes for Pete's sake. They're just out there in front. Hey, I don't know who won the award for the farmer of the year last year. There is no award for that. You just get out there and you work hard, hard, and you wait and you see. But it says that the farmer's the one who gets the opportunity to taste the best, taste the first. Hey, believe it or not, in just about probably three months, the strawberries will be out. And uh, the farmer's gonna go out in his field to see whether they're ready. And he's gonna go out and he's gonna pick one up and he's gonna eat probably the best strawberry of the entire year. Because um, he'll see, he'll see the results of the work that they have done. Uh, the picture that we held up is of a sugar shack. We were up in Muskoka on uh, last Monday and went and saw one and um, we met with the guy, did a tour of the whole place and all the cleaning they're doing and all the getting ready they were doing. And that was on Monday. On Tuesday, they were going out to put 1,000 taps into the trees and run the lines down to the central lines that would bring the sap down into the collecting bins. And now it boiled off 40 to one down to what ends up at the end. Guess what? No sap is running. It's too cold. Haven't had the temperatures at plus five and minus five, all that stuff he told us about. It's not happening yet. So there he is, the farmer, working like crazy, working hard. But there's no sap running yet. But this week it's gonna run. And this week they'll boil it down. And that first sap that comes off, guess who gets to taste it first? The farmer does. 
The farmer goes out and he turns the soil and he plants the seed and he waits for the rains to come and does all that he can to be faithful and, and he waits and, he, and then he sees the fruit of his labor and he, he gets to taste it. Timothy, be a good soldier. Be an athlete. Be a farmer. Church, are you a good soldier? Were you a good soldier this week? Were you an athlete staying in the rules? Were you the farmer being faithful, working hard, trusting God, and waiting to see the fruit of what you have produced? Gripped by our amazing calling, three pictures. Paul finishes this section by saying, think over what I say. Don't let this just slip by you quickly, saying. Think over what I am saying. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Somebody wrote this about those three positions. The soldier who stops fighting before the battle is finished will never see victory. The athlete who stops running before the race is over will never win the race. The farmer who stops working before the harvest is complete will never see the fruit of his crop. Faithful, faithful people growing up, serving, trusting God, watching what he will do. And then look what uh, Paul does in verse eight. He says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, growing, gripped by Christ's work. You want to grow up in Christ? It comes out of that foundation of grace. I think he really comes back and just nails it right here to really what the focus is. He says, um, he says these words. You want to be gripped by Christ's work? Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the the seal of authenticity on who he was. It's the receipt showing that who he said he was and what he said he did was true and it's real. Remember Jesus Christ. As I was studying this text, I came to those words and I knew we were having communion and I thought, you know what? We need to stop right in the middle of the message and have communion. And then we'll come back and do some so what stuff afterwards. We need to remember Jesus Christ. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, that we show, we demonstrate. And so we're gonna have communion so that we can remember Jesus Christ. So some things about communion. First of all, who's it for? Well, it's a, it's a remembering of the death of Jesus Christ. It's for people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their savior. That's who it's for. Communion is for followers of Jesus Christ. Well, who's worthy? Like you're sitting there going, who am I to take communion? You're right. Who are you to take communion? And who am I to take communion? Except for this, we've been justified by faith because of God's grace. He, he washed away all of the sin. So I'm not worthy of myself. But in Jesus Christ, because of his work, I am. And so what do we do? 
Well, let a man examine himself. Search me, God, and know my heart, and try me and know my thoughts. And, and if there's sin, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. And so search your heart. Are there areas of obedience in your life you're not obeying? Then get on, get on with it. Don't fool around with communion, Corinthians says. Some people are sick. Some have even died. But we don't need to fear it. Because Jesus wouldn't have told us to do something that he didn't want us to do. He wanted us to just make sure that we're right when we do it. If you've never put your faith in Christ, I would hate to think that you would come and receive these elements and take them and somehow you would think, I, I had a little wafer and I had a little bit of grape juice and somehow that makes me closer to God. Communion never saved anybody. Communion is a memorial of what Jesus Christ has done for those who put their faith in Christ. It's a little cracker in the lower cup and the cracker represents the body. And the top cup has a little bit of grape juice in it and it represents the blood of Jesus Christ. The cracker's just a cracker. The grape juice is just grape juice. That's not the important thing. The important thing is what they represent they represent who Jesus is and what he did and dying for us. So who's it for? Followers of Jesus Christ who've examined themselves right before God. Then you come and we take this with a confidence and Jesus said, do this as remembrance of me and, and then I'm gonna do it with you in heaven again one day. I can't wait for that communion service. This one will be so lame in comparison. But until then, we do it because he called us to do it. There's some folks who are gonna come and help us. So if you're gonna do that today, come on up and take your places. And what I want you to do is when you're ready, just take a moment. When you're ready, you just come and um, receive, take both of the cups or double stack and go back to your seat. And then when you're ready, you just receive them. You, you take the cracker, you take the juice and you just receive it on your own. And then we'll come back and we'll have the so what to this message, but I think we'll be in a way better place because we stopped to remember Jesus growing, gripped by Christ's work. Remember, <clears throat> remember Jesus Christ. Well, the last thing I want to take a look at, our big so what for today, <clears throat> I would call gripped by the faithfulness of God. Um, this one right here, if the rest aren't the price of admission, this is right here in verse 13. For we are, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. We'll come back to that and kind of come down to it. And the verses that lead up, starting um, in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, just kind of pick out maybe one word or one thought and then to come to the understanding as we remember the Lord Jesus Christ, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. So the first thing I want us to see, uh, kind of coming out of verses eight and nine are this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. I want to talk about the word. The word of God is not bound. You know, I think it's kind of like when they took Jesus Christ and they hung him on the cross and the Roman soldiers are like, finally, it's over. We're not gonna deal with this anymore. And, and the religious leaders of the day who thought, finally, we got rid of this guy who's claiming to be the Messiah. 
finally, it's over. Only to find out God's working, they were completing and doing the very things that God said would happen. I, I kind of think it's like that with Paul. Here he is, he's in Rome, he's in prison, he's chained probably between two Roman guards and finally they're going, finally got this guy, shut up. He's not gonna have influence anymore, he's done. Most of what Paul wrote he wrote from some form of imprisonment. And when everybody else was thinking, finally, we've got this guy, shut up. God's like, yeah, no. The very things he's gonna write here are gonna change the world. The things he wrote in the book of Romans, the things he wrote in Corinthians, the things he wrote in Ephesians, the things he wrote in Philippians, in First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, all those things, most of those things being written on a ship somewhere or in a prison somewhere or, and he goes, here I am, I'm all bound, I am chained. But God's word is not chained. God's word does not return void. We need to be people who use the word of God. We need to talk about what the word says. Now, when he was writing Timothy, did he realize it? That it would be in a leather-bound Bible called the ESV being preached in, in Markham um, in 2015? Of course he didn't. He was writing a letter to help his friend to encourage him and God preserved it and God did because God's word is not bound. Man thinks it is, but it's not. Man tries to do everything to make God's word go away. But no government, no religious authority, no skeptic, skeptic no scientist, no philosopher, no big book, excuse me, no book burners have been able to stop the word of God. It is not stoppable. His word goes on and on. His truth goes on and goes out. And although Paul was bound and bound in chains, the word of God is not bound. So when you find yourself in the difficult situation, you go, I don't know what to do. I, I've been trying to talk to this person for so long and I don't know what to do. Hey, try this. Use the word. Use the word. Your persuasion might be an interesting tool, but it's the word of God and the working of the Holy Spirit that's going to change someone. So although you may feel chained and you don't know what to do, use the word. It is not bound. It's what makes the difference, the word. Verse 10, I picked out the word enduring. Therefore, I endure. I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then you go, oh, he's gonna speak on election. I saw the word, I saw the word. Actually, I'm not. Um, it's a statement of fact, the elect do I pretend to understand all about that? No, but I do know this. God is God. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is sovereign God. He is in control. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. He made me alive. Um, the seeker is not me. God seeks after his children and then he saves us and we respond in faith. So we can have that discussion until the cows come home, but I don't think that's what this verse is about. This verse is about Paul's desire and here's the reality for all of you, uh, a strong Calvinist are all about election, and I am too, but, but the reality is God uses us. And that's the point he's making. I'm going to endure, he says. 
so that the person who God has chosen can be saved. Because God uses us. We are his ambassadors. That to me is awesome and amazing. And so make sure that you are the one who's out there being faithful and doing what God has called you to and not giving up because God uses us. He says, I will endure. And when you feel like quitting, you don't quit. I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain salvation in Christ Jesus with what will come in the eternal glory. Well, verses 11 to 13, he kind of goes into a thing that maybe was a, a catechism or a, a hymn that they would have known. Uh, it was known to them anyways. And for us, there's some things we want to pull out of it. Um, here's the first one in verse 11, dying with him so that we will live with him. Look what it says. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Now, what does that mean? Well, it could mean a number of things. But first of all, it could mean what I talked about in Romans 6 and the picture of being baptized with him into his death and being raised again. Could very well be what it means. Probably is what it means. But it's one view of what it means. Another one would be that it means that in his suffering and in what will come in martyrdom. And the reality is that that could happen. And what he just talked about, Paul talked about suffering and being a good soldier and being bound and all the rest of it. And maybe it's like, you know what? If I die with him, I will also live with him. But here's the reality in all of this. It comes down to dying to self, whether it's a picture of baptism or whether it's a picture of what could happen because of martyrdom. I wrote this down this week as I was thinking about it. The largest step you will ever take in denying of self was the day you trusted Christ. The largest step you'll ever take in denying yourself was the day you trusted Christ. See, I think we look so often at the deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. Oh no, oh no, what's God gonna ask me to do? You've already done the most difficult thing. You already came to the place of moving from I think I'm all that and that I'll be all right before God and I can present myself one day to the place of understanding you're not all that, you can't present yourself before God one day, and you submitted yourself and came under the Lord Jesus Christ, you gave up your pride, you gave up your self-will, you gave up how you thought you were gonna get there, and you simply came under the grace and the working of the Lord Jesus Christ. Deny yourself. And what did God do when you did it? He saved you. You became a child of God. So now the things we deal with are the things that are about our selfishness or the things we want and deny yourself of those things too because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The greatest life to ever live is the one that's lived for the glory of God. If I deny myself, I will live with him. The next one is if we endure or when we endure, we will reign with him. Uh, what, a great, um, what a great truth that endurance is part of the Christian life. It's part of our faith. It's part of, the Bible never said it's going to be easy for us. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Terrible things happen to Christians as well as to non-Christians because there's sin all throughout the world. The difference is how we handle those things and how God works in us even in those hard things. And when we endure, it says we will reign with him. 
Then verse 13, or the end of verse, uh, the end of verse 12 says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Again, lots of description about what that could mean. Does that mean you could lose your salvation? Not based on everything else I see in Scripture. I don't believe that's even a possibility in Scripture. Uh, could we lose um, reward? For sure, we could lose reward. Um, or maybe it's written to the person who is reading the letter or sitting here today, and it goes like this. I want you to understand something. If you deny Jesus, he's going to deny you. If you deny him, he's going to deny you. And one day when you stand before him and you're like, well, no, I went to church at Harvest Bible Chapel back in March in 2015 and, and the guy told me about you, but I never trusted you. And he will say, I never knew you. Um, if we deny him, he will deny us. It could be about reward. It, I don't know, it's serious, whatever it is. I want to make sure that we're striving and desiring to be on the side where that's not true of us. It's not a one-time. I think one thing we need to really know for sure what it isn't. It isn't a, I really messed up once, and now I don't think God loves me anymore. Well, Pastor, do you have an illustration of that? I just happen to have one. His name is Peter. And the night Jesus Christ was tried, denied him three times. So it's not about that for sure. Because um, three times, at the end, he's cursing and swearing. And the Lord looks at Peter and he runs out and he weeps bitterly. And the Lord's put on a cross and he dies. And, and Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And some of the first words he says is, go and tell the disciples and... Okay, I'll try that again. Go and tell the disciples and... Thank you. I knew if I warmed you up, you would get it. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Well, then they're out fishing. They come to the shore and, uh, and Peter comes up and three times Jesus says, uh, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. It's not about a broken relationship where it's gone as far as the east is from the west and it's never coming back again. Peter sinned. He blew it. He messed up. And the Lord Jesus Christ in his loving care for Peter, just like in his loving care for us. Notice how the text finishes. He cannot deny himself. What a loving father. What a loving God. How amazing that even in a guy like Peter who did this, who's just a picture of me over and over again, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And the restoration that comes, look at that last verse. And the last thing I want us to see is that he is always, he is always faithful. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Oh, thank you, Jesus. How many times can you say, I was faithless? I didn't fulfill the thing I knew I should do. I didn't trust like I should. I didn't come before the Lord in my sin because I thought it was too big and he could never forgive me. All of those things. And when you were faithless, he continued to be faithful. Not once or twice or 10 or 20 or a hundred or a thousand 
but over and over and over again. I want to be a person of God growing up in Jesus Christ because even when I am faithless, he remains faithful. Well, 5G, the first one is that we have a focus that is glorifying God. And this one is that we have a heart and a passion to be people who are growing, living in the grace, gripped by his amazing calling demonstrated in the pictures of the, of the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, seeing God's work in Jesus Christ and what he's done, and trusting his word and remembering his faithfulness. And even when I'm not faithful, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. It's who he is. And we're the benefactors. We're the ones who benefit from his working. Oh God, teach us to be people glorifying and growing for the fame of the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it works in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray that if there's someone who's here today who's never trusted Christ, that they would be spurred by the message they have heard, by the word that they have heard, and today they would trust Jesus Christ and be saved. For those of us, as we walk forward, we stumble forward, we struggle, we falter, teach us, God, to live in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, remembering who he is and what he's done and the hope that even when I am faithless, you are always faithful. Work in us for your kingdom's sake and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.